The process to choose Britain's next Prime Minister to replace Boris Johnson in September is now underway. But will the choice between Sunak and Truss change anything for India? Hello and welcome to Worldview at the Hindu with me, Sohasini Eder. This is episode 72. We're going to take a deep dive into British politics for you. As this week, at least 160,000 British Conservative Party members will begin to receive their ballots for the election to decide between Liz Truss, the former trade and then the foreign minister, as well as Rishi Sunak, former Chancellor of the Exchequer or Finance Minister of the United Kingdom, as the next party leader and consequently the next British Prime Minister. Now, an election within the UK's Tory party, as the Conservatives are known, should not in normal course mean much for the rest of the world. But there are several reasons why this one has caught global attention and more importantly for us at Worldview, India's attention. So let's just take you through some of those reasons. One, this is the first time a person of Indian ancestry, the grandson of Indian immigrants from Kenya and Tanzania, Rishi Sunak, is so close to Britain's premiership. So that moment counts for something. For an erstwhile imperialist power, one known for colonizing and plundering peoples really across the world from Asia to Africa, to have the possibility of its first non-white and one of its only non-Christian prime ministers is indeed a big moment for all the formerly colonial world colonized countries as well. Let me tell you a story about a young woman almost a lifetime ago who boarded a plane armed with hope for a better life and the love of her family. This young woman came to Britain where she managed to find a job but it took her nearly a year to save enough money for her husband and children to follow her. One of those children was my mother, age 15. My mum studied hard and got the qualifications to become a pharmacist. She met my dad, an NHS GP, and they settled in Southampton. Their story didn't end there, but that is where my story began. Other reasons, and the first is the election is important for the world as it sets the course for British foreign policy. Amidst Russia's war in Ukraine, a possible conflict with China, high inflation, and the next two years of economy post-COVID in a country that is still very much the world's sixth largest economy. On China in particular, in fact, Sunak released a particularly strong plan of action, which he put out on Twitter as well. He included banning Confucius Institutes, tasking the MI5 intelligence agencies to crack down on Chinese businesses suspected to be believed, engaged in espionage, as well as on cyber crimes by Chinese companies, uh, clearly marking China as a threat. Uh, Liz Truss has also been quite tough in her own Commonwealth program about the threat from China. Also, the outgoing Prime Minister Boris Johnson, who stepped down amid scandal, had forged several deals uh, around the world, including with India, a big free trade agreement uh, which is being negotiated. And it remains to be seen, everybody is watching whether these will be followed through, whether there'll be continuity by the next incumbent. Fifth, when it comes to power in, and whoever comes to power in September really, will just have about two years to the next election. And this is at a time polls have put Labour Party, the opposition Labour Party, far ahead of Conservatives, 39 to 32%. That is going to have quite an impact on British foreign policy. So whoever takes over in September is going to have to bear that mantle, at least for some part, until the next elections are held. 
in India, for example, they watch the conservative versus labor fight much more closely because, for example, labor is seen as much more vocal on issues India is sensitive about, like human rights, like Kashmir, also the Khalistani movement. So India will watch this race very closely as to where it could lead by 2024 or before that. Now, Sunak and Trust, who came out on top of about nine candidates. Remember, the most popular uh, candidate of them all didn't chose not to stand, which was Ben Wallace, the British defense minister. And the two, Sunak and Truss, are now going head-to-head -head in television debates practically daily, uh, spelling out their positions on foreign policy, on trade, taxes very particularly. There are differences there, immigration policies as well. And as I said, China. One debate between them got quite dramatic when the moderator fainted off camera. The debate had to be stopped. The moderator is just fine. Now, to get more of what the sense there on the ground is earlier, I spoke to my colleague in London, the Hindus, Sriram Lakshman, who's covering the campaign and began by asking really what the differences in Sunak and Truss's positions were, given that both of them were actually in the same government just a month before. To begin with, Sriram, we saw some highlights of the debate. What really were the, were the main places where the two candidates differ from each other? Because, of course, they've been part of the same government. Right, absolutely. And, uh, you know, one of the things that the, the, the balance they're trying to strike is how can they differentiate themselves from their former cabinet colleague and position themselves as the best candidate for prime minister while at the same time not creating a situation that leaves the Conservative Party in tatters after seeing this, what might uh, devolve into internecine wars. So that's what we, we're seeing a bit of. And earlier this week, as you had mentioned, one debate was cut short because of what happened to the moderator. But there was another debate on Monday on the BBC where we had on full display the differences and the similarities between the two candidates. It got pretty testy, at least by British standards, you know, and uh, at some point Rishi Sunak was talking over Liz Truss and that didn't go down too well. And I think what we're seeing right now is differences mostly in how they would handle the economy, especially taxation. That's a big issue here. Inflation is at 9.4%. It's forecast to hit 11% later this year. And Liz Truss is more of a view that she wants tax cuts. Rishi Sunak is saying that's going to create problems for future generations. It's going to hit the mortgage rate. Interestingly, a day ago, he said he's going to uh, advocate, he's going to follow a policy where there will be VAT cuts on energy bills. So he is now changing his position on taxation as well. But that's the major domestic issue that they're discussing. And, and in a sense, uh, on the foreign policy aspect, we've seen some sharp words, both of them really very hawkish on China, on Russia. What is the new foreign policy of whoever wins? Really, what will the new government's foreign policy be? So if taxation and the economy were the major domestic issue that are being discussed and in foreign policy, then we're going to be seeing China as the major major issue. This week, we've seen some competitive hawkishness with regard to China and each candidate accusing the other of being soft on China. The general sense is that Liz Truss has a more long-standing hawkish position on China and because they've had different roles, right? Liz Truss is and was was and is the foreign secretary. Rishi Sunak is the chancellor, so he was looking at things more through the economic angle. And you cannot afford to ignore China as 
being the large economy that it is. So he's been accused of wanting to restart uh, economic and trade talks with China, which has been put on ice since the Hong Kong actions that since Beijing has taken those actions in Hong Kong. But this week, he came out very strongly against China earlier this week. Liz Truss has also released a new Commonwealth deal today, uh, to coincide with the start of the Commonwealth Games. And she has made repeated references to China in that, and she wants to strengthen security partnerships and economic ties within the Commonwealth as a bulwark against China and Russia. And you're seeing some of the language that I've seen in the U.S. as well. There's the strings attached financing from China, and they're trying to position themselves as an alternative to countries with regard to Beijing. So we're seeing competitive hawkishness with regard to China. And as, as people in India watch this race, the question that seems to keep coming up, is Britain ready for its first non-white prime minister of Indian origin, perhaps? Give us a sense of how people there are seeing this race. Are they seeing it in terms of uh, their origins? And uh, uh, really, how is the Indian community looking at Rishi Sunak's candidature? So interestingly, if you're looking at, you know, if you are going to move from the anecdotal to large scale data, there's actually been some survey data, which from last year and uh, from the Carnegie Endowment in partnership with YouGov. And generally, the Indian community has been very strongly labor orientated. And what we're seeing is evidence, both anecdotal and uh, statistical, of a shift towards conservatism. And we're interestingly seeing this amongst people of Indian origin who are Hindus and Christians, let's go with Sikhs and Muslims. You're seeing it more amongst the Indian community rather than the Bangladeshi or Pakistani community. So two points to note. One is only 0.3% of the British electorate is participating in this election because it's an internal conservative party election with about 160,000 people voting. Then this is also a teaser for what's to come next in the general election. When you're seeing this movement towards conservatism, away from Labour, but still stronger support for Labour. I think the data shows uh, 4 in 10 supported Labour versus 3 in 10 supporting Conservatives. There's been a closing of that gap over the last 10, 12 years. I think having an uh, Indian origin prime minister could actually certainly attract more Indians who are already moving in that direction towards the Conservative Party. So I would uh, watch. Uh, and uh, to your earlier question, Sasni, sorry if I may. Whatever your politics, India was considered the jewel in the crown of the British Empire and so forth. It is quite something to have a first a non-white prime minister potentially and be Indian origin prime minister. That is a historical event regardless of one's politics. And of course, it will be a question of how quickly we can open the conversation on the Pohinur and, uh, and other reparations. Um, but, but on a more serious note, of course, we saw Prime Minister Boris Johnson's very close relationship with Prime Minister Narendra Modi. Johnson was in India just a few months ago. Can we already see what each of these uh, leaders could mean for the ties with India? Of course, everyone's uh, looking closely at what it also means for trade ties. Yeah, so the short answer is I think there's going to be a continuation of the Johnson uh, type of ties with India. Rishi Sunak has spoken at a diaspora event not long ago. He wants to see more equality in the partnership. He wants to also see British people going to India to study and so forth. He has talked up his Indian origin credentials. You can see a continuation from his side with you know, the tone that Johnson has set with regard to India-UK ties, especially in trade. And Liz Truss has come out today with this Commonwealth uh, New Deal, where she's seeking, going to fast-track trade deals with with the Commonwealth. So, and, you know, both candidates 
talking very tough on China. You can't close the door on China and then be overly tentative about India as well. <laughs> there are only so many large economies to go around. So my sense is you're going to see a continuation of the ties from the Johnson administration. The big question is, of course, uh, can they conclude the free trade deal by Diwali? And, you know, both sides have set that as a deadline. Johnson spoke about it on his visit to India. The UK Parliament, the committee, came out last week and said that that deadline was arbitrary and has cautioned against it. But then that is Parliament. Uh, we've got uh, the Indian side, uh, the Commerce Secretary has said that trade talks are on track. I think the fifth round of talks is currently underway and negotiations are set to complete according to the Indian government by August 31st. So as far as we can tell, and you know, one month is a long time in politics, things are looking like they're on track from the Johnson administration. We are going to see continuity, including in trade. Sure. And, and just before you go, I know these numbers keep changing uh, and it's hard to del- tell right till the end. But as it stands, just before the ballots go out to these conservative voters, how's it looking for each of the candidates? So as uh, you're probably aware, Suhasni, Sunak did very well amongst the MPs. He was always coming first with successive rounds of voting and that has put him in the final two against trust. But it's the 160,000 approximately conservative members who are voting. And the one poll that's come out after a YouGov poll, after there were only two candidates left, in the race suggests that trust was uh, the favored candidate with 49% of respondents choosing her compared to 31% uh, choosing Sunak. 15% said they didn't know and 6% intend not to vote. But so this 49 and 31% is actually, I think about a 24% differential if you only, if you take out those who don't know or who are not voting. So right now it looks like trust is in the lead, but then again, we're not going to know till September 5th. So a month is a long time in politics. Let's see how it goes. No, no, it can happen. Sriram Lakshman, thanks so much for joining us from London. In fact, let's just take a closer look at those polls Sriram was speaking about thus far. According to YouGov, now this is an internet and telephone um, polling agency in the, in the UK, Truss is ahead of Sunak by quite a long lead amongst conservative parties polled in a head-to-head contest. As you can see in the numbers, Truss is also ahead of Sunak on who is more uh, in touch with people, who's more likable, who's more trustworthy. But Sunak actually beats trust on a big question, who is more prime ministerial? Also a question on who is less unpopular among swing voters who may eventually go to Labour. That will also be very important. Interestingly, since we did speak of the race and minority questions in this particular race, about half of all ethnic, gender and other minorities, so ethnic minorities, gender minorities and others, polls said it would make very little difference to their rights, whether the winner of this particular race was a woman or an Indian origin immigrant descendant. So not, uh, I mean, some cynicism over there about what this race really means for them. Remember, a study of the approximately 160,000 or more party members who will be voting in this particular poll, uh, more than half of them are aged over 60. They're more likely to be male, uh, residents of Southern, more conservative England, and 97% of them are white as opposed to any kind of minority in the country. Now, finally, when it comes to India, there are some more points to consider really, both pro and con, Sunak and Truss. To begin with, Truss negotiated the India-UK FTA, the Free Trade Agreement, as Trade Minister right at the start. And then as Foreign Minister, she visited India earlier this year, in fact, speaking to the Hindu in an interview about how she wanted much closer ties 
with India. But then famously, and this was seen on video and we covered it here on Worldview, had a, a run-in with External Affairs Minister S.J. Shankar over Indian support to Russia, particularly buying Russian oil. On the other hand, Sunak has actually not visited India recently, but he quite openly claims his Indian and his Hindu heritage. In particular, he took his oath before on the Bhagavad Gita. And his wife, Akshata Murthy, is the daughter of Infosys founders Sudha and Narayan Murthy. Now, while this makes him very familiar with India, it might make him less comfortable showing those close ties as partisan amongst his British voters. So that's something to watch out for. In fact, both Sunak and Truss have taken strong anti-immigrant postures. That's worth watching much more. If elected, of course, Sunak would be one of a growing number of the Indian diaspora. There are at least 200 now counted, according to an Indiaspora survey, that have made it to top offices worldwide. In fact, we'll just take a look quickly at that Indiaspora survey. These include at least five heads of government uh, from Portugal, Suriname, Mauritius, and Guyana, where at present of Indian origin, of course, Suriname, Mauritius, Guyana, had Indian indentured labor, so a very large amount of their population from here. Second, deputy heads of government. Uh, there are three famous ones like uh, Kamala Harris, for example, in the US, Leo Varadkar in I Ireland, as well as Jagdeo in Guyana. Dozens of others are in the cabinet, they're ministers, they're top diplomats in their countries, uh, and those are certainly showing up much more and more that we see. But there's also the downside of the diaspora's political dividends for Indian foreign policy to consider, as the Modi government itself has learned. I wrote a piece about this uh, more than uh, a year or two ago, writing about how it doesn't matter whether someone in office is of Indian origin or not really when it comes to India's foreign policy and how India is viewed. Sometimes, in fact, they have higher expectations uh, from the Indian government. Eventually, the rise of an immigrant descendant to power in any country, or for that matter, the rise of any minority member whose community has faced discrimination is an important and positive sign for that country. Much like we celebrate the rise of our first president from India's tribal communities, President Draupadi Murmu, as a sign of India's inclusive and pluralistic traditions, we will salute other countries that can do the same. Foreign policy, bilateral relations between two countries, however, seldom change due to personal identities. At least that's what the experience has been. Uh, do write in and tell us what you think. We'll get you some reading recommendations as well. Since we have taken so much interest in British political developments on this edition of Worldview, let me just get you some primers. The first, and this is a series that I often recommend called British Politics, a very short introduction. This very short introduction series is by Oxford University Press. Uh, this one is written by Tony Wright. Uh, also, Routledge, another publisher, has something called Politics UK. This is more a series of essays, including this. I think this is the 10th edition. It looks uh, at interesting issues for us like elitism, gender, immigration issues in British politics much more closely. Then there's an interesting book called The Impossible Office with a question mark, The History of the British Prime Minister by Anthony Selden. It looks at 300 years of the Prime Minister's office in the UK and how each one rose, fed, and fell. Certainly very interesting. Uh, then there's something called Going for Broke, The Rise of Rishi Sunak. All you Sunak fans will be interested by this book by Michael Ashcroft, brought out in 2020. It's full of anecdotes, details of Sunak's childhood, and then his entry into politics. Of course, whoever becomes the next PM, they can't possibly be as colorful and controversial as the last British PM. So here's a book for you on Boris Johnson, worth reading. It's called Boris Johnson, The Great Gambler. 
that came out last year. It's by Tom Bauer. Then an interesting book, nuanced, it's called Chums, How a Tiny Cast of Oxford Tories Took Over the UK. This is by Simon Cooper. It's a very serious and startling look at how the Conservative Party really has come to be controlled by a small group of elites who probably all studied together uh, as well. Uh, comes from a certain perspective, but worth reading. And then a book that I really enjoy enjoyed reading and conversing, in fact, with its author. It's called Heroic Failure, Brexit and the Politics of Pain by Fintan O'Toole. He's a very famous columnist. And this is really, as I said, one of my favorite books on why the UK split from the European Union and how all of it explains British politics. So just a number of books that you might find interesting to read. That's all we have time for though here on Worldview from the team. Thanks for joining us.